Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. You could travel to these countries. You could go work there for a couple of years. You could even start go over there and start a business. There's just a lot of opportunities that you, that you could pursue once you kind of just break outside of that bubble of being in America. <laughs> I always tell my students, I'm like, listen, Traveling to a country and spending time in a country is like the equivalent of reading 20 or 30 books on that country. I think it's really cool that you, you know, you found something that you were not only excited about, but that you thought could make an impact on other people. And you see it does because it made an impact on you. And then you figured out a way to actually bring something to life that could be part of your life's work. I'm just curious how you would recommend other people go about using their passion to serve a purpose. That was just a little taste of my conversation with Dr. Christopher Daniels, who is my guest this week, and I know you're going to love the rest of it. So that is coming to you in this show. Plus, I'm going to talk a little bit about the travel bubble. Are you living in the travel bubble when you're traveling? How much are you in and out of it? I know I'm... I'm kind of bouncing around between the bubble and outside of the bubble. Anyway, you'll hear what that is all about in this show as well. Also, a shout out to one of you fine, beautiful souls in this listening community and so much more. It's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. Spring has sprung here in Oslo, Norway, where I am, although it's a bit rainy and cold today, but I'm starting to see the flowers around and the trees are just starting to bud a little bit with the green and it feels good coming out of a long, dark Scandinavian winter. Anyway, uh, hope things are well with you and that you are safe and healthy and keeping your spirits up 
during this time, I've been watching a lot of streaming music, a lot of artists streaming online, and a lot of people coming together in different ways that they haven't before. I've been having some Zoom calls with friends that uh, we've never done that before, but we're jumping on these Zoom calls and hanging out. And that part of this whole thing has been really nice to reconnect with people. And anyway, just wanted to check in with you. Hope you're doing well. I've got a rad show for you today. Yeah, I'm dropping rad. I'm using an old 90s term because my guest today is also a Gen Xer like myself, and we cover a wide variety of topics. And some of the things are, you would say, maybe they fall outside of travel, but nothing really falls outside of travel when you think about it. When you're visiting a destination, a place is the way it is at that moment in time because of the people and the things that are going on in that society. And this is a question I get into. Uh, I, I just talked about it a little bit during the intro piece is this travel bubble, the idea of the travel bubble. Are we in the bubble when we're on the road where we're just seeing the sights and we're kind of got these rose tinted glasses? Or are we outside of the bubble where we're seeing those things, but we're also able to absorb the nuances that are going on in society? Or do we have our antennas up so we can pick up on those nuances or some of those cultural things that are happening at the unique time in the world that we are there visiting that place? So this is one thing that we get into. We talk about the politics of a place that you're visiting and how that might impact your travel experience. And a lot of times, I think when we're traveling... We, we don't think that much about these things, right? I mean, if you're going and visiting some awesome monument or site, you're not really thinking about the political situation in the country at that time, for example, or the economic situation even maybe in that moment. But certainly, we have to be aware of these things as travelers, right? I mean, there's no way we, we can't be. We're passing through a place and it is part of the identity of a place that you're visiting, there's no doubt. And it's affecting the locals. It's affecting everything. So when I say I'm in the bubble, I, I think there's sometimes when I am in that rose-tinted bubble, and that's a fine place to be. You know, It's fun. I'm not necessarily thinking about all of the maybe screwed up things that might be going on in a place. I'm just enjoying the place and the people. And that, I think that's important You know, because we can't let what governments are doing. Um, we can't judge people based on what a government is doing. You know, I think we all know that, uh, having traveled around to different places, and you may have been to some places where you don't agree with certain things that are happening, but then you, know, you meet people and they're just incredible all around, and people are people, and generally people want the same things. They want to take care of their families. They want to be safe. They want love. All, all that stuff that we need as humans. So, uh, there's no, this is a little bit of a rant here, I guess. There's no right or wrong answer about being in or out of the bubble. I guess I just wanted to create an awareness around the bubble. And I do think it's important as travelers that we don't stay in the bubble all the time, right? Like we should be in the bubble and be enjoying our trips and, and ourselves. But I, I feel like we should also be engaging some of the other elements of the society that may be going on around us when we're in a place so we can understand that place a bit better and understand what the people are going through at that moment in time that we're there. 
that's just me. So I don't know. Are you more in the bubble? Are you more out of the bubble? For me, it depends on the trip and what's going on. So that's that's what I'm calling the travel bubble. Some concept I just made up before the show. <laughs> but it does relate to the interview because we talk about the politics of a place and how that might affect a traveler. And another thing we talk about is why he picked this particular organization he started, Motherland Connect, over any other ideas. And I found, I always find this fascinating. Why does somebody pick one thing over another? And a lot of the people that come on this show, if they started anything, it's because they have a passion for it and it's something that's going to fulfill them. And I wanted to talk about that at the end of the show after the interview. So stick around for that. I want to talk about, should you create something around your passion or is that all BS? I know some people think, oh, starting either a, a business or an organization or whatever around your passion is BS. You don't have to do that. You certainly don't. Um, and you certainly can succeed at other things you start without doing that. But, but maybe for myself, I couldn't succeed if I didn't do something around something that I was passionate about. And I will tell you why. And maybe that will give you a, a new perspective on on that concept. So anyway, stick around for that at the end of the show. And we'll also give a shout out to somebody in the listening community. Please enjoy my chat with Dr. Chris Daniels, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Well, I'm on the line with... A new friend, Dr. Christopher Daniels. He's an American academic, currently a professor at Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University in the Center for Global Security and International Affairs. We're going to get into what all of that means because I needed to decipher that for me a little bit. But anyway, Dr. Daniels, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. You've certainly earned the status of doctor, of course. So should I be referring to you as Dr. Daniels, Christopher? It's always good to ask, you know. No, nah, you can just call me Chris. It's fine. Okay. I, I, I always tell people, I'm like, look, man, I, my mom calls you Chris, so everyone else can call me Chris, too. It's fine. We're <laughs> <laughs> keeping it informal. Cool, man. Well, whereabouts are you? Right. I, right. I have no idea where I'm talking to you. Right. I'm in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, that's where uh, Florida A&M University is, so it's the capital city uh, of Florida. So I'm here uh, in Florida. It doesn't feel like Florida today. You know, uh, in January, it gets a little cold here, so... It feels like I'm back. I'm from originally from Cincinnati, so I feel like I'm back home uh, okay. with, with this weather now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so my dad and my stepmom, they they do the snowbird thing. So part of the year, they live in Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> okay, um, right, right. So we got to go there last year in the wintertime. And you know what? We came during one of those times that you're experiencing right now where it's just like, I'm just like, man, we're coming from Norway. I live in Norway. We're like, come Very. on. Like, we're in Florida now. Can we catch a break here? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, wearing our fleeces. We stayed at this hotel to take our kids to Disney, and we couldn't go swimming or anything. A terrible, horrible problems, right? Life's life's tough. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Cincinnati's exactly. A, a cool city, and I, I'm a huge fan of the Skyline Chili there. I got to say. Okay, great, 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 great. Good, good man. If you like Skyline, you, you, you're my guy. Oh, yeah. And you got to get the, I think it was at the five way where you got, you just piling up all of the, it's like, what is it? Cheese, onions. Cheese, onions. Yeah. Noodles. 
everything. The whole thing. It's just everything yeah. all in one. Hot I want sauce. them. I want it to come where it's like it looks like a mountain of something on top, and you're just all like, right. All, all, right. all right, like all I'll right. eventually <laughs> dig into this mountain anyway. This isn't a food podcast, I promise. But, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> did you travel growing up? I mean, what was a uh, what was it like for you? Because I mean, we're going to get into the travel stuff of what your organization does because you have some interesting stuff to share today. But I want to learn a little more first about kind of your travel background and how you got into traveling. Right. So, so both my parents are are were uh, school teachers. So you know, like during the summertime, we would travel a lot. Not 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 that much internationally. I mean, just kind of you know uh, you know we did the uh, Caribbean. You know, some of South America, some, um, you know, Mexico, some other places like that. Um, so I, I traveled a good amount, you know, I would say within the Western Hemisphere um, growing up in high school. And then when I got to college, that's when I really started started to travel a little bit more internationally, like, uh, you know, outside of the Western Hemisphere. I mean, I would say that's quite a lot. I mean, a lot of the typical experience for a lot of people. I mean, I'm generalizing, of course, but if you look at the statistics and how many Americans hold passports and things like that, I think our parents, I, I don't know how old you are, but I mean, maybe we're in, are you, are you a Gen Xer like me or? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> exactly. So uh-huh. I think in yep. our parents' generation, a lot of them didn't travel overseas that often. Like generally speaking, if they were doing trips, like it might've been to Mexico or, you know, Florida or whatever. But it uh, sounds like, I mean, South America and everything, those are pretty big stri- trips. So you got exposed to some stuff pretty early on. Was there a was there a moment or a sort of defining moment that really opened your eyes to the world? Because I think as a kid, you're taking stuff in, but it, sometimes it, you're not, you're just processing things in a different way. But for you, was there something, some memory or some vignette that stands out? You're just like, oh, I, yeah, this is, this kind of got me hooked on, oh, this idea of, wow, there's a bigger world out there. I, I would say the first time I think it was the Bahamas we went to, even though you know it's it's not that far away, but just going somewhere else and just seeing a totally different way of life, just seeing how people live there, it just opened my eyes to like, wow, there's just a lot, there's just a lot out here. Just seeing how it's just you could be in a place and everything could be totally different, and you're not even that far from home. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it, once I started traveling and kind of seeing that, and I started to wonder, like, I really want to, I really want to get. I really want to get exposed to places that are even further away, right? So I saw places that were, you know, somewhat close, and places where you knew people who were from there. So it's who are who lived in America. So I really wanted to go places where I didn't even know people who lived in America from there as well. So it was just really, really interesting. Uh, but that was kind of the beginning of my process of, of of really being fascinated with travel and just seeing how different things are, how different the cultures are. Um, and just, you know, all the possibilities that they have over there that we may or may not have here. Right. I mean, this is because it's such a huge part of what you do now. Well, first, I kind of explain to me what it is you teach at the university. What are the types of classes you teach? What is your uh, kind of specialization? Right. So my area of expertise is international relations. So basically, I, I teach international relations. I teach comparative government. I teach also teach a lot of classes to deal with um, national security I deal with a lot of things that have to do with like American foreign policy overseas and then also how kind of how countries interact with America um, and then also how countries interact with each other. So I teach uh, in comparative. So comparative government is basically where you compare different types of government. So, you know, democracies, theocracies, communist governments, socialist governments. So you essentially compare those. Um, so one of the things I do is I look at different regions of the world and how they govern their countries different than how we do in America. Like, for example, you know, in America, 
we have, you know, hundreds of millions of people, but we really only have like two really like legitimate, you know, political parties. I mean, we have, you know, other political parties, but really only two that have like, you know, a, a, a real shot to win um, an election. Whereas you go to some other countries, they may only have, you know, 10 or 20 million people, but they might have 10, 15 different parties. So the politics of that country is totally different because these political parties are are so fragmented and they have such special interests that they have to work together um, to, uh, to be able to form their government. Right. So the parliamentary style government versus, you know, the American style government, things like that. And just how that forces the country to operate and function differently. Those are the type of things I talk about in class. Of course, this isn't a political podcast, but your expertise is in this. So I, I got to ask some questions because I'm curious. And being in based in Norway, it is parliamentary. And there are like what you just described, basically, there are five million, a little over five million people, but they have all these parties. And I'm thinking, what's up, America, with the two party thing? It's just it's kind of ridiculous, I think, <laughs> because there are a lot of different types of people out there dealing with a lot of different types of issues. Here's how we can describe it. If you've ever traveled outside the States, then come back. You know, if you go down the cereal aisle, how ridiculous it is, like the amount of different cereals we have just in the grocery store, right? <laughs> so it's not a secret that Americans love choice and different options, right? right? But then in politics, we don't have the cereal aisle. We just have the... You know, the old Pilsner, you get this Pilsner or this Pilsner beer. That's that's all you get. Um, what's up with that? <laughs> so, okay, so, so I'll put it like this, right? Americans love winners, right? So no one wants to be on the losing team. So what everyone's assessment of the situation is, look, either the Democrats or Republicans, one of them are going to win. No one wants to go to that third or fourth party that they believe cannot win right now. We all know that over time, you know, things would change, but no one wants to be no one wants to be on that over time. Everyone wants to be uh, kind of locked in on the winning team. So it's like, you know, everyone kind of just takes the 50 50. So what, what, what we actually have right now is a very interesting time in American history. Right. Where I would say and, you know, not having done like specific research on this, but just, you know, just from talking to people. I would say most people don't agree with the majority of Democrats or Republicans. So if you're a Republican, a lot of Republicans are very unhappy with their party. If you're a Democrat, a lot of Democrats are also very unhappy with their party. However, they're more happy with their party than the alternative. So it's like, I like the Democrats just enough not to vote Republican. I like the Republicans just enough not to vote Democrat. And that's kind of where we are right now in American history. It's really an interesting time because that's why we have such low voter turnout in our elections, because you don't have that same passion. Right. So, you know, if you go back, uh, you know, just going back in time, going back to like 2008, 2007, you know, when President Obama was running for president, you had that, you know, that that excitement and that passion that made so many people go out and vote. But now, you know, you don't really have those same type of candidates with that personal connection to people that makes people really, really want to go out and vote. So as much as you push the issues, I mean, all the issues that they're talking about, you know, healthcare, you know, the economy, things like that, they're important, but it just, it, it doesn't tap on that emotion and that passion. And that's why you see like the political system that we have now, that's why it's possible, you know, for certain people to win because the turnout uh, just really isn't what, 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 what it should be because people don't have that passion for their party. Anytime a traveler steps into a country, whether you're an American traveling around America or you're somebody from overseas that's coming to America to visit... You know, they're coming at a certain 
to a certain place in a certain time in history. And the, the political situations, the economic situations, all that stuff shapes culture and various things about a society, right? So how much do you think on the political side right now, as a traveler in the States, say, I mean, do you notice if you're traveling around the States or I'm just wondering if your experience has changed traveling, say, traveling in the U.S. or just day-to-day life in the U.S. compared to whatever, five or 10 years ago. I'm just, I'm just curious about your thoughts because you, you, know, you have this expertise in other countries and political systems. I'm wondering how much you think what is going on politically impacts a traveler. And maybe that's not at all. I mean, it, it, it does. I mean, so, you know, anyone who's coming into a country, you have to, you have to be aware of the political situation there. Um, and then right, right now, it's just a, a, a politically tense time. So I would say people who are traveling to America in the fall, um, you know, as we get closer to our presidential election, they're going to feel it every single day. I mean, it, not, not, not that, you know, they're going to be in danger or anything like that. It's just you're going to notice people talking about the election because it's such a big deal. What, what, what's happened in America and, you know, somewhat happening around the world is that politics has become like a mainstream issue. Right. So it used to be like, you know, politics, you know, if you watch the news and other like serious things, you know, you'll see about politics. But now that politicians have, you know, migrated to social media, it's not possible to not hear about politics. Right. So so even if you're like on South Beach enjoying yourself on vacation, you know, the the, the hotel that you're staying at probably is going to have CNN playing in the lobby while you're, uh, you know, having breakfast. And you might end up having a random conversation with someone. And what's interesting about it is, you know, the way America is, you can't really tell what a person's political affiliation is. You know, you could assume maybe they'd be Republican, maybe they'd be Democrat, but you really just don't know. So a lot of times, you know, as someone who's from out of the country, you know, you kind of have to be careful because you don't want to necessarily offend someone. Right. So let, let's just say, you know, hypothetically, for example, you may assume that someone may or may not like, like President Trump. But they may be a, a starch component of, uh, a, you know, a fan of President Trump. And you may assume that they didn't like him. And you may say something and they may get offended. So it's kind of like, you know, you have to really just kind of tread lightly because you don't really know what people's political affiliations are, because uh, this is a very, very diverse country in terms of people's political viewpoints. Right. So someone may be of a certain race or certain ethnicity. So you may assume that they think a certain way, but they could totally they could think totally differently. So as a traveler or someone who's from out, outside the country. You know, I feel like it's always just just good to just kind of be open minded and just listen to, to a lot of people and get their opinions and then to see really that, you know, this is a very diverse place politically and people's viewpoints come from a lot of different areas. Just going back to the original question, of course, I was using an American example. Obviously, if, if you're going to like a war torn country, you know, the politics is affecting, you know, but if, if this is more subtle, like you said, I mean, not necessarily subtle, but I think as a traveler, you have a choice to engage in certain things or not right like you can keep yourself in some travel bubble and see everything through right. tinted glasses you know or right. you can i guess try to open up to some different things that might be going on around you and understanding them and maybe that's where some of those conversations can lead you to a better understanding right like maybe it's some of those uncomfortable conversations like hey why yeah, I'm just curious, why do you support this or that? What makes you think that that's... I've definitely gotten into political conversations with locals before. It can get dicey sometimes, right? Um, but, you know, as travelers, we're also... 
We might be mini ambassadors for our own country, but we should also be trying to learn about other countries as well. You mentioned racist that could be one factor, right? And one of the things we were going to talk about today that you wanted to touch on is demystifying travel in the black community. I do want to get into that topic, but I wanted you to explain what your organization does because you are the co-founder of an organization called Motherland Connect. And I would love for people to just uh, learn more about that. And by the way, you can check it out at motherlandconnect.org. Yeah, just give us the 101 on what it is you guys do there. Right. So Motherland Connect is basically an organization that um, we organize international cultural immersion experiences for people. Our primary market is students who go to historically black colleges, but we have really people from all over. Um, So we have some people who have already graduated, some professors, some, you know, other people who work at universities or just people, you know, who just work in general. But, you know, it's primarily uh, catered towards the African-American market. So what what we do is um, the way we do things, we basically pick locations that people are really interested in. And we try to make sure that they get a very, very authentic experience. Because what what we find is that a lot of times tourism companies, you know, they give you like these cookie cutter experiences that aren't that are authentic. You know, so they have, you know, go to this hotel and go to either this restaurant. This, everything is very, very, very planned and very organized. And it's very, um, how can I say, it's very cookie cutter. So what we try to do is try to kind of get you outside of the tourist shops, right? Every country has tourist shops. We try to get people outside the tourist shops and get them to have some type of authentic relationships with the people in those countries. Because basically, like, the goal, for, so for me, I always tell people, my goal is that if you go and visit a country with us, I want you to have friends in that country so you can go back and you'll have a place to stay. You'll have someone to hang out with. So it's basically creating, a, it's opening a door for you to be able to establish your own relationship and maybe even consider going back there to get a job, going back there to you know start a nonprofit, start a business, anything like that. So we really want to create create relationships around the world with people. That's the main thing that, that, that we try to do. And oh, Is this a nonprofit or is it a for-profit business? Yes, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization. Our purpose really is you know cultural understanding, cultural immersion, and really just creating opportunities for people who normally would not have opportunities. So a lot of a lot of these universities, you know, they're smaller universities, so they don't have like big international education departments. And some of the bigger companies don't really come there to recruit because, you know, they don't really know about these schools. So we kind of reach out to, 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 to schools and other places where a lot of other people aren't reaching out to to help them also get an experience, uh, international experience. So in well, part of the description you have in Motherland Connect here is um – it's a yeah, premier student travel company, like you said, uh, for alumni, friends, all the things you described to travel back to Africa and the world. But it sounds like your primary focus is is in Africa or is it is it around the world? Absolutely. I mean, so um, primarily in Africa. So initially, when we first started, I was thinking it's so much demand for all these countries around the world. So you have to say, OK, well, look, you know, we'll do to other countries as well, because. One thing that, you know, uh, that you realize is that there are people of African descent all over the world. So, like, you know, we, we took a group of people to Colombia and a lot of them were surprised that there were so many Afro-Colombians. Um, you know, Brazil, other places like that that we've, we've, we've done trips to. We're doing a trip to London in the summer. And a lot of people are, you know, surprised that there are so many people of African descent in London. You know, um, so I think I think that that's kind of that, that's kind of the reason why we reached out to some more than just African countries. Because really, there's such a there's such a global African community that we wanted to connect everyone else to. I imagine that you have had some people come through your program that 
uh, maybe wanted to go back to Africa because they had some ancestral ties or some uh, deeper meaning behind their family history. Um, we all know the terrible things in the history of, of America. And, and I mean, I, I don't know exactly how many people, but <laughs> far too many were taken out of their, their homeland and, and brought to America to be slaves. It's a horrible thing that isn't talked about. Uh, I mean, horrible isn't, there's not enough words to explain what it was. I think everybody gets where I'm getting at. But to, to go back to a place where you have some heritage or some history or some ancestral ties, from the African-American perspective to Africa specifically, can you speak a little bit about that? Maybe you don't have a personal experience with that, but I imagine that you have connected um, some people through your program. And I imagine... I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that experience would be like for people. So I, that's why I'm here to learn. This is one of the things I wanted to learn and talk about today. Right. So it's an unbelievable experience, right? So all, you know, African, African-American people, you know, are, are descended from Africa. So pretty much every African-American person at some point in their life wants to go back to Africa. Um, so you'll, you'll be rare to find anyone who's like, I don't have any interest in going to Africa. So literally when they touch down for the first time on the African continent, it's a dream come true. Um, so just seeing that look in their face that they, they accomplished something that they've always wanted to do, you know, it's like, it's a huge deal. It's huge. I mean, it is, and, and you can't, you know, we're, we're talking and we're trying to describe it in words, you know, and that's one of the toughest things, but it's just that feeling, the feeling of seeing someone, you know, touch down in a place that they've always wanted to go their whole life is just unbelievable. And then also to see them do it with a group of other people who are all feeling the same thing. Right. So, you know, our groups, we, we do large groups. Um, um, our last group had um, 100 people. So just imagine, you know, 100 people um, all going through that feeling at the same time, all being able to have, have conversations about it. So one thing that one thing that that I implemented this year was that we created a travel journal where people are going to be able to actually sit, you know, have a journal where they can write down their thoughts and their feelings about their first time touching down on the African continent. And what it was it like and what did they expect? And you know, because it's kind of one of those things that a lot of people can't can't will have a hard time understanding because, you know, if you've never come from a country where you're the minority of the population, then to go to a country where you're the majority is just a totally eye-opening experience. You know, uh, so if you go, you know, in America, African Americans are roughly about 13% of the population. So, you know, if you go to these African different African countries where, you know, it's 99, 98%, you know, black. It's just an eye-opening experience because you've never seen that before, right? I mean, even even the most you know progressive cities in America, like let's say like a city like Atlanta, is only about thirty percent African American, right? So, you know, uh, I always tell people that African Americans are you know uh, on TV a lot, you know, in sports and entertainment and whatnot, but on a day-to-day basis, there's really not that many African American people in America, you know, percentage-wise. Um, so, you know, when, when you get a chance to go out to the country and, and be a place where you're the majority, it just really changes how you see things. Um, and then also to see the cultural similarities, even after all these years of being separated, it's just a very, very, very interesting, um, experience. Hmm. Well, you, mes- you mentioned wanting to demystify travel in the black community. What, what are some of the things you want to demystify? What are some of the things that are common objections, I would say, to some people that are coming through your group or just with your interactions that you, you kind of have to, like an experience like you just described, you you can only get those feelings if you actually go and do that, right? But I'm sure there are some things that you can 
talk about beforehand, maybe some things you can share here on the podcast through your experience and the people you've worked with that can give some people a perspective on you know, overseas travel and some of the work that you do. Right. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you know, a lot of people just don't know how to get a passport. So that that's amazingly enough. That is a huge barrier for a lot of people. They do not know how to get a passport, where to get a passport from, because I think only 20 or so percent of Americans even have a passport. All right. So just getting a passport, just, you know, and then, you know, understanding that not every country you need to get, you know, a bunch of shots to go to. You don't need a visa for every country. I mean, just all the logistics of travel, a lot of people just don't understand. And then also a lot of people just don't believe that they can afford it. Right. So being able to explain to them, like, listen, this is something that's affordable. You know, you can plan it out over time. You can make payments over time, things like that. That really just demystifies the, 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 the expense of it, the difficulty of it. And the last thing is really just the biggest question a lot of people have is how are they going to be treated overseas? Because a lot of people are concerned that, that you know, you know, they're, they're going to kidnap or, you know, other crazy things are going to happen to them just because, of, you know, you know, you know how the news is and movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, then on top of it, you experience before, racism at home, I'm sure. Right. So it's exactly. th- that's a huge concern, I would imagine. Right. I mean, so so that, that that's so especially in the African-American community, that that's one of the first questions people ask you is, you know, how are, you know, African-American people treated there? How are they how are they received? How are they perceived? Um, is there racism? Is there problems? I mean, so. You know, because we're going to a lot of African countries, you don't necessarily have those specific like race based questions. But the biggest thing is when you go to African countries, a lot of people are, are like, you know, is there running water? You know, is there electricity? You know, just because of all the negative images and, you know, uh, that you see on of Africa um, on, you know, in the media. So a lot of people are just concerned that like they don't understand. So, you know, when someone touches down in South Africa and they see, you know, skyscrapers and people driving Mercedes and they just can't believe that, look, wait a minute, like what this is in Africa, they showed me on TV. So they're very, very, very surprised and happily surprised to see that, look, there's a lot of very, very, you know, modern places in Africa. And then also, you know, you can go out to the rural areas and see the see the culture and things like that as well. So you can get a combination of both. What are your thoughts on the media representation of Africa in this day and age? And what can be what what can be done better? All right. So I, I, I think I think the one thing that 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 the media can do a better job of is just telling the stories of the the middle class and upper middle class African person. Right. So the African person, you know, we know very, very well about like the poor rural African people. I mean, that's something that's disproportionately uh, shown in media. And then we also know about like these like ridiculously wealthy African people. Um so I think this kind of getting that middle, like what, what is the average, what is the average person who has like a regular job? How do they live? And I think that story is rarely told in Africa, right? So the average guy, you know, who works, you know, who's a, a city commissioner or, you know, a, a, a civil servant or just, you know, uh, works for the post office or just, you know, just a regular, you know, kind of working class, you know, what we call in America, blue collar type job. What, what is his life like? What is her life like? You know, how do people live? This the average person. Um, what is the education system like for the average person? This things like that. I think the media, if, if they really focused in on the middle class where the majority of people are, I think that you would get you would get a lot of a lot a lot better uh, understanding of what things are actually like on the continent. And I think it would also encourage a lot of people to go over there more because they would see that look, there's opportunities here. I think one thing that a lot of Americans are unaware of is how many opportunities for business there are on, in Africa. 
Um, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for collaborations um, in business. There's a lot of opportunities for collaborations in, you know, academia. There's a lot of opportunities for a lot of things. It's just that, you know, it has that initial contact has to be made. And once it is, really great things can happen. Well, yeah, one of the things you mentioned in, uh, in your email, original email to me, was talking about using your passion to serve a purpose. And that seems to be what Motherland Connect is, is a big part of your personal reason for starting that organization. I'm just curious. I'm sure you're passionate about a lot of different things. You're a professor, you're a doctor, you've, you've studied a lot of things. Obviously, you have a wide knowledge base. There's a lot of things to learn out there. I'm wondering what made you feel strongly enough to start this specifically, this organization over other ideas. Right. Because I just feel like it's, it's just so important for people to see the world. Um, we're becoming more and more global of a society. And if people from, from, if people from certain backgrounds don't become more global, they're going to get left behind. Um, you know, jobs now want you to have they, every job now is asking about diversity, inclusion. They're asking about, you know, uh, your, your ability to work in diverse situations. So if you haven't, if you've never been out the country, you're really missing out on a lot of opportunities. Um, then you have all these countries that are really emerging, you know, all the Asian countries, a few different African countries, Latin American countries. So if, you know, if, if people are only stuck in America, they're really limiting themselves to the amount of opportunities that they can be exposed to. All right. So when I originally started it, the biggest thing that I wanted people to do was consider working overseas, doing internships overseas or working for multinational corporations um, where they would have some 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 experience working overseas, because that's that's what really helped me. Um, I did an internship with the State Department when I was in school uh, with the Bureau of African Affairs. And I worked at the embassy in Maseru Lesotho. And that really changed my life. Right. Just just a summer internship, um, spending time, you know, working there, seeing how things work on a day to day basis. I learned so much about that country, so much about, you know, the, the Southern African region in general. And it really, really, really changed my life. So I really wanted other people to have the same experience as well. But I knew that it's very, very difficult because, you know, there's not that many people who have the knowledge base to be able to take groups out the country um, and to be able to give them these type of experiences. So I know that if I didn't do it, I didn't really see anyone else who was going to do it. So I knew I had to start it. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like was that experience and you said you're working at the embassy? Yes. Was that the genesis of this in a way then? It actually was. I mean, I, I would definitely say that that was the beginning of it um, because I, I was like, I remember when I was working there, I was like, man, this is such a beautiful place. It's so, so amazing here. I, w- I want everyone to be able to see this. But, but then the question became how, right? How am I going to get all these people here? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. So you have to really be organized. You have to really kind of put things together because I remember when I first, so it was interesting because when I first started doing the trips, it was very, very, very hard to get people to come because people were like, I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go out the country. I want to, you know, do other things. But now, you know, kind of Instagram and other social media platforms have made travel kind of popular. So now it's like, okay, now a lot of people want to go. Um, so, you know, kind of, I was kind of like ahead of my time when I first started, but it's always good to be ahead of your time because then when the times come around, you have the experience. All right. So, yeah. So I think it's definitely interesting. How long has the organization existed? So basically as an organization, we've been around for, eh, I would say five, six years, but I've been doing, I've been doing these trips for about nine years now. 
Um, so I, I started doing them like in 2011. Uh, so you know, it, it always existed within me, you know, uh, just officially on paper, you know, following with uh, Uncle Sam, as we call him here, the, the the government, following with the government, all that about four or five years now. So, yeah, so it's been around for a little bit. You know, this realization you had of a, of a passion, right? You're like, hey, how can I give this uh, experience to other people? This is something I'm ex- that's getting me excited. Other people should be experiencing this. Okay, how? That's what you said, right? And I think that's so key because it's it's kind of easy to just be passionate about things. But then the hard part is, all right, well, how are you going to take that passion, merge it with your life and everything you're doing, and then figure out how to translate that into an, some kind of organization, whether it's for-profit or non-profit. What kind of advice would you give to people who are maybe in that process right now? Like maybe, I don't know where you were 10, 10 years ago, if you were ever thinking about starting something or you know doing something with... Everybody's on this continual journey, so it's never a linear thing, right? Like life is a linear thing, but it's it's easy to look back and be like, oh, this point, this, and then this happened. Then Right, but it never works that way in, in real time, right? But I mean, if you were going to give some advice, I mean, I, th- I think it's really cool that you, you know, you found something that you were not only excited about, but that you thought could make an impact on other people. And you see it does because it made an impact on you. And then you figured out a way to actually bring something to life that could be part of your life's work. I'm just curious how you would recommend other people go about using their passion to serve a purpose. All right. So, so I would say the first thing you have to do is you have to find out what is your passion. Um, I mean, it sounds, it's a very, very simple thing, but what are you passionate about? What do you really love? Because, you know, especially here in America, a lot of us are just working or just living day to day, but we're not really pursuing our, our actual passion. So finding that passion. So for me, I found out that I really, really love travel. And I knew that if I loved it, other people would love it as well. So I just had to figure out a way to create that opportunity for people. Um, and that's why I decided to form, you know, form the nonprofit. Um, because then that would that would create the platform to be able to, you know, go out and recruit people and, and get them to get a chance to come on trips. So what, what, what I would advise people to do is, you know, so, so specifically, if you want to do something travel related, is just you have to establish all the proper relationships in those countries. All right. So you can give someone something different. All right. Um, I mean, there's a lot of travel companies out here. There's a lot of travel agencies. There's a lot of different ones. So finding something that makes you unique. All right. So it's either a unique target market, a unique uh, part of the country that not that many people are going to. Um, just something that gives you a niche. So when I come to someone, they say, well, why should I travel with you? You have an answer for that. Right. That you're going to give them something that they can't get from somewhere else. Um, so whatever that niche may be, uh, carving that out carving out your target market and then also, you know, creating the proper relationships within the country that'll really help you be successful. Um, but ultimately the main thing is just finding that passion and really being passionate about it because it's very, very difficult, right? It's not going to be easy. You know, the first time you come to people saying, you know, I want to take people out the country, people going to look at you like, who are you, uh, you know, to take someone out the country. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy thing. I remember, you know, it's just funny now because how, how much things have changed, but I literally remember, asking people and they're like i'm not going anywhere with you like uh, what do you know you know <laughs> what do you mean you gotta you can look like a trustworthy guy <laughs> right it's funny right it's very 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 funny uh 
you know, I, and, and I really just can't imagine that now because now people, I, I can't even go outside my house without someone asking me about a trip. So people are like hounding me to go somewhere. But there literally was a day where people were looking at me like, nah, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere with you. It all Our starts somewhere, say, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, ultimately, you know, when you first begin, there's always someone who, who has been doing it before you, who people are more familiar with. Right. So they might be like, well, he does this or she does that. So let me just go with them. So you have to be able to find that that market that looks at you as the expert. Um, and that takes time. You know, so you have to. So that's why you have to have a passion about it, because at first it's going to be hard. It's not going to be that successful or it may or may or may not be that successful at first. Um, and it, but but if you're passionate about it, it doesn't matter if only one person comes or two people come. If, if you just want to see someone have that experience and, and change one person's life. If only one person signs up, then that's great. If two people sign up, if a hundred people sign up, you know, um, if you're pursuing your passion, it won't matter. It's the thing that with all the hard work, I mean, you, like you said it best right there, you know, you're just taking, oh, one person, two people. It's about that impact, serving these people, giving them this experience. This is the kind of thing that keeps you going when everybody's looking at you like you're crazy in the beginning because, <laughs> you know, they're like, why would I? go on a trip with you or <laughs> I'm just like well I'm just going to keep sticking with this because I know this is a thing that that you know personal experience with it and you've seen other people benefit from these types of experiences so well, where are some of the places that we should visit in Africa that aren't on really on people's radars so the the, the one country my favorite one of my favorite places to go people are asking you know where's your favorite place where's your favorite place Lesotho right small country uh inside in southern Africa it's a, it's completely surrounded by South Africa. So in order to go to Lesotho, you'll, you'll need to actually fly into Johannesburg or maybe Cape Town. Um, and then you'll catch another flight from there, you know, into Lesotho, but it's amazingly beautiful place with mountains, right? Beautiful mountains. Um, if you're someone who's not afraid of the cold weather, it actually snows there. So, um, their seasons are opposite of us in the Northern hemisphere. So if you go like around June, July, you can actually go and see snow in Africa. And I think a lot of people will be like, wow, I never thought I would see snow in Africa. Um, they have, um, they actually have a ski resort there called Afriski. That's really dope. Um, they always have a lot of events in June and July where people go up there and they actually ski or just play in the snow. Um, and it's just a really, really enjoyable experience. They have a very, very nice culture. The thing I like most about that place is that the people there are very, 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 very friendly. Um, so as far as safety and security is very safe and secure, you know, you don't really have, you know, any really issues with that. They have a good, you know, good culinary uh, history. So they have a lot of good food. Um, this is a really, really interesting place that not that many people know about. So it's not, you know, too touristy. Um, so you don't have to worry about, you know, it being so many tourists everywhere. It's just a really, really off the kind of beaten path place. I would suggest people would, would check that place out. Definitely. It's only a four hour. It's only a four hour drive from johannesburg or if you want to take a bus it's only you know three or four hours from there so it's something you could do like if you were doing a south africa trip and you want to just add it on you could easily add it on any other spots that you see as either kind of current or up and coming um i mean uh tanzania is a great place um they, they have a lot of a lot of good places to visit in tanzania um they, uh, you know, the weather there is beautiful, especially like once you get towards the coast with Zanzibar and Dar es Salaam. So there's a lot of cool places in Tanzania as well. Um, the safaris there are, are unbelievable. You know, a lot of people know Kenya for the safaris, but the safaris in Tanzania are just as good. Um, so, I mean, this is so many countries. 
Zambia is a nice place to visit. Uh, even even Zimbabwe, you know, you know, it's had you know some issues. Um, they have a lot of good places to visit there as well. So there's just a lot of places. I mean, pretty much, um, you know, most of the African countries have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of historic places to visit. A lot of good things. So really, any of them, um, if you get an opportunity, you'll, you'll you'll really learn a lot and have a great time. How has your perspective on your home country changed since you've been traveling overseas so much? And then when you come back, what, what has changed for you? I mean, I, I think it just helps you appreciate, appreciate America. Um, so you definitely appreciate the things that we have here. Um, I mean, it's easy to complain because all of us, you know, wish we had more or wish we had different or something else. I mean, there's always something to complain about, but what you realize is that, you know, even, you know, people in tough situations here are better off than the majority of the people in the world. Uh, so, you know, just being in America, makes you really appreciate our traveling, makes you really appreciate what we have in America. But then it also makes you realize that there's a lot of opportunities outside America as well. Um, you know, if you look at kind of other ethnicities of people, you know, they're all over the world. There's not that many Americans, you know, all over the world. We, we, we are not that big of a traveling people. and We're not that big of a migrating people. But, you know, when you travel a lot, it just lets you know that, hey, I could go over there and work. I could work in, you know, South Africa. I could go work in, uh, you know, in uh, UAE. I could go work in China. You know, I could I could go over there for a couple of years and seek some opportunities. So I think traveling kind of opens up that doors, uh, door and lets you know that, listen, you could travel to these countries. You could go work there for a couple of years. You could even start go over there and start a business. There's just a lot of opportunities that you, that you could pursue once you kind of just break outside of that bubble of being in America. Um, America is a great place. I mean, uh, there's a lot of opportunities here. But there's also a lot of opportunities in other places. And I think once you travel, it kind of makes you realize what exactly you have here in America. And you can compare that to what you could have once you go overseas. You have your life and work in America, but have you considered or would you consider living overseas? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I definitely would, would consider working overseas. I mean, the good thing is now is that with technology and the way, you know, the way work is becoming, I mean, it's becoming more remote. You could. I mean, you know, in, in, you know, a decade or so, maybe I who knows how long it's going to take. You know, a lot of us are going to be working remotely. So, you know, why not live overseas, you know, if you're working remotely? And then a lot of times you can take advantage of being paid in U.S. dollars, but living overseas. And that's what a lot of people are starting to do now, um, you know, with, with a lot of these remote working opportunities that they're moving to lower cost countries and enjoying the exchange rate. Um, and that's something that you can take advantage of as an American. Or you know someone from Europe or other countries with, with stronger currencies, yeah. it's definitely a great opportunity. So I definitely I would consider it. Yeah, and I'm mean, going back to what you said about the passports. I mean, we're very fortunate. There, I say American passports pretty solid. A lot of the European passports are solid. I was actually just reading a really interesting article on Medium by a guy named Indy Samara Jiva. I'm probably not pronouncing his name correctly. He's, he's Sri Lankan, and he had this whole article called the unbearable whiteness of tourism and he was just talking about how you know people from iran pakistan somalia some of the african countries you know what they have to do to even travel at all like bank right. statements and sitting in embassies yeah. and yeah. all these different things he had some really good points on some of the terminology right he was saying like generally foreigners that are well off are referred to as expats but other you know others in his words he said not immigrants or migrants those words are for Browns. That's quote unquote in his article. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he talks about, you know, if an expat, I'm using air quotes, decides to stay and work, they're not an illegal immigrant. They're just overstaying their visa. 
quote, right, quote unquote. Exactly. And he said that term is for pores. So he was just kind of laying out this argument with like, hey, travel really isn't for everybody, you know, and it should be. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. It is not fair. Um, it is not equal. Um, basically, if you're from certain countries, you have a privilege, right? So like, for example, you know, if you're an American, you can just go to countries and usually get a 90 day visa and then you get, you know, just leave and come right back and get another 90 days. So really you can actually live in these countries indefinitely without even having to go through like the immigration process. And then if you do, they always going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're going to, that you're going to leave. Whereas a lot of people, they're not given that benefit of the doubt. They're always, a, it's always an assumption that they're going to come there and they're, they're going to stay and they're going to, you know, become some sort of burden on society. They never, they never see a lot of groups as potentials to add to the society. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's, that, that's just, this is terrible because even, even, even in different African countries, you see that. So you would think, you know, um, so in different African countries, you know, as an American, I could go there with no problem, but someone from another African country will have a difficult time, uh, actually, you know, getting citizenship and getting a residency. It's just very, very, very difficult. Um, so I think it's something that, you know, organizations like the United Nations need to kind of look, look, look into, um, is how we're going to deal with immigration in this increasingly global world. Right. So now literally anyone can work anywhere. Anyone could, you know, communicate back home from anywhere. So now people are going to want to move. Right. I mean, this is be honest. A lot of a lot of countries in the world, you know, it's just very, very difficult times. People just want to move. If people just want to pursue their opportunities in other places. So how are we going to deal with that and how are we going to make it where it's a fair, equal system? Because right now it's not. It's very, very, very difficult because the things you have to produce, especially for certain people who are in countries that have a lot of a lot of civil strife and other issues like that. They don't have the same you know, access to bank accounts. They don't have access to, you know, all their proper documentation. So it's very, very difficult for them to even move outside of these countries that have a lot of problems. So these are things that, that are major issues that I think organizations like the UN uh, really need to try to tackle because it's going to be a major problem in the 21st century. Because as as airlines expand more and more and more and flights become you know less expensive, as the road infrastructure becomes better, people are going to be able to travel so much easier. Um, it's going to be something that you really got to deal with. Yeah, thanks for sharing thoughts on that. And uh, by the way, I'll link to this article, but there's a lot of discussions going on. And in, in I mean, I think it's a pretty provocative in different ways. Um, he, he's got like a map of these two different passports, and he's calling it the world map of brown tourists, the world map of white tourists. But people are pointing out in the comments, this isn't like there's other people that are of color that are coming from these countries. This is a map by countries with passports, not race of people. So there's all, all these, this crazy dialogue going on i was just curious like you have such a broad global perspective i was just kind of curious on your thoughts on that and uh you know with all the political stuff you do with your work and everything these are the things to talk about in travel in the modern day right like these are things that we should be talking about it's not all um hey here's like the best view on instagram right like we, right. we need to be exactly. talking about these things <laughs> exactly. Exactly. um and that's exactly. you know one of the big intentions behind this podcast is to just keep dialogues going on this stuff right and, 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 and that's, that's also the same thing. That's the reason why uh, my nonprofit exists as well is to go beyond. Listen, we all can go take a dope selfie. We all can go take, you know, a dope group picture with our friends. Like, let's let's go beyond that. OK, so let's not go to these countries and just take pictures and go home. Like we need to deal with the issues that that that, that are there, the issues that exist, because ultimately we want to make the world a better place. Right. If, if you're if you're a traveler that means you're essentially a global citizen. So, you know, we all have our countries of nationality, you know, where our home is, but ultimately we're global citizens. 
So we want the world to be a better place. All right. And, and the only way to do that is for us all to come together and dialogue um, and work on these issues, because we want the world to be a fair, equitable place for everyone so everyone can enjoy, because ultimately that's what's going to make the world a better place. Yeah. It's a big reason to travel, right? I mean, it's the reason why, I mean, with climate change and everything going on, I've, you know, some have many existential crises here around my work in the podcast, like, and maybe you've thought about these things too. Well, is it, you know, is it worth the impact for the flying and all this stuff? But then, you know, to me, I always come back to this idea of, hey, when people travel, they, I don't know, I, I think generally speaking, at least with this audience and, you know, guests like you and, and other people I talk with that are conscious consciously traveling, consciously trying to connect with local communities, to just see things from different perspectives, to learn, to be open. It does, I think in the long run, make for a better world, make people bring new perspectives in they wouldn't have had, you know, and I'm not saying people can't get these things in, unless they travel, but travel for some people, I think that have that desire, it can be a powerful thing that can not only affect you personally, but can allow you to perhaps make a bigger impact on the world that you wouldn't have considered doing X, Y, or Z if you hadn't seen these things in the first place. I mean, right. I mean, I, I always tell my students, I'm like, listen, you know, uh, traveling, traveling to a country and spending time in the country is like the equivalent of reading 20 or 30 books on that country. I mean, just spending time in that country and really going and talking to people and really having those one-on-one experiences, like it's just intangible. I mean, all the, all the study you can do in school, you know, all the websites, all the YouTube videos you can watch, you know, all those are great. But just spending that, you know, week or so or, you know, even longer in the country, you're going to learn so much about that country that you never could read in a book, um, that you never could get from a video. So just those one-on-one day-to-day experiences, eating the food, you know, drinking drinking the drink, whatever, you know, whatever they have there. <laughs> right, right. Can you share one of your more memorable sort of daily experiences from travel and maybe it's just a thing you know oftentimes it's not like the yes of course like seeing sunrise at Angkor Wat is epic right like we all know that but like uh, there's these small things that happen that I feel like can blow your inner world up can you share something that impacted you in that way it's it's hard you know like I said it's hard to pinpoint for me it's the relationships, right? It's just the people I meet. I've met so many just amazing people just every day, just, just waking up, you know, just walking out, you know, waking up. So what I, what I usually love to do, I usually love to wake up and then walk to like the closest, like convenience store and just buy, you know, buy something for breakfast and just all the conversations that you have along the way with the taxi drivers, with the people who work in the shops. It's just, it's just a culmination of the people. Um, I think so. It's not like one particular aha moment. It's just those relationships that you just never forget. You know, like I'm sitting here talking with someone like in rural Ethiopia. I'm sitting here talking with someone in Egypt. Like, you know, when are you ever going to be doing that? You know, like this. It's just this. This the fact that you can sit down and talk to someone and ask them, like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's just priceless. Like, you know, you really just can't. You can't put a, a price tag on it. You can't put an experience on it. It's just make you a person that, you know, you, you just, it's just hard to explain because very few people had those same type of experiences. So it's really the relationships for me that really have been game changing um, and the friendships and just keeping in touch with everyone on WhatsApp and, you know, all this and that, it just really makes it, ma- makes it amazing. Yeah. There are all these unseen things. I mean, it's like, it, it can be one of those things that can, again, get you over the hurdle, but you, you don't know what it's going to be. Right. So if you're somebody who, 
you know, you're trying to save up money for travel and you're in a tough situation or, or you're afraid that you don't want to ditch your job as a professor, say, for example, or whatever, and go travel the world for a year because you're, you're just, you can see what you're going to let go. You know that world, but you have no way to foresee like a conversation you would have in rural Ethiopia with somebody and how that would change your life. You know what I mean? For example. So there's all these like unseen things that moments that are waiting to happen that only happen if you do that thing, right? I think it's uh, just something to keep in mind because it's way easier always to see the things that you're in, that are in front of you that you're losing and you can't really understand the things you'll gain. They're, like you said, there's a lot of, you, you can't put a price on or whatever. I mean, I guess you can on plane tickets and things, but there are all these, right. you, you can put a price on like the you logistics, <laughs> right, right, but, yeah. right, but you can't put a price on the intangible things, the experiences, the things that will happen that and how they will impact you and maybe how they impact you will also allow you to, I mean, look what you've done with your organization. These things impacted you to the point where you like then decided to create this organization and make an impact on other people. So anyway, I'm applauding you for that. You can't Thank hear me you. clapping, but right. <laughs> um, sounds like you're doing incredible work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I really appreciate you. your time. I, I, I had a couple fun questions here at the end. First of all, if you could go anywhere uh, for dinner tomorrow, where would you go? Or tonight, I guess, is morning for you. Like you can, you got like one of those teleporter things, so you can do the Star Trek <laughs> thing. <laughs> if I could go anywhere for dinner tonight, ooh, man. That's and what are you going to eat? Uh, That's the question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think if I could go anywhere r- right now with, with, with my taste buds, I would definitely go to South Africa. I would have, it's something called chicken licking. It, 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 it's, it is some of the best fried chicken that I've had anywhere in the world. I don't know why I have a taste for that, but right now I have a taste for some chicken licking. So if I could go anywhere in the world right now, it would be to South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, or anywhere in South Africa and have some chicken licking. That sounds good. <laughs> you know, since we kicked off the conversation talking about where you're from, I, I think I'm going to Skyline Chili. Okay. Hey, <laughs> I, I would definitely take that. <laughs> but first, I would like take the teleporter and meet you for this chicken because I want to try that. Right. Um, try maybe it. we can do the appetizer at Skyline. Okay. We can do the teleportation appetizer right. at Skyline, and we can teleport ourselves over to. Uh, wouldn't that be cool, man? And we can have these conversations that would, that, in person. Wow, that would be so dope. That would definitely <laughs> be so dope. <laughs> One day, I guess. Well, I mean, I guess this is pretty sure. cool. We're here over Skype, looking at each other's faces, and uh, exactly. Just one more time, if you want to tell everybody where they can learn about learn about your organization or find you, or if anybody wants to get in touch, feel free to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the website for the organization is mother, www.motherlandconnect.org. On Instagram, you can find us at motherlandconnect underscore. And then um, for me personally, um, you can find me on Instagram at chrisdaniels1887. So that, that, that's my, my personal Instagram. And then feel free to DM me or, you know, whatever to reach out. But I, I, I would really love to collaborate with a lot of people. So, you know, anyone out there is you know, doing trips or, you know, uh, other, other travel related organizations or things like that. I really like, I really would love to work with a lot of people, you know, it's a big world and everyone wants to travel. So it's just a lot of opportunities to work together to really spread our impact, to make sure that we help everyone see the world and experience the things that we have. Yeah. Well, appreciate you putting it out there and appreciate your time today and hearing all your perspectives and about all your travels and a little bit about your life. I have like a million more questions, right. but I'll respect your time. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Daniels, and we'll chat soon. All right, chat soon. There you have it. 
Thank you once again to Dr. Chris Daniels for stopping by the show. Really loved our chat. And um, yeah, I'm always craving for these chats to be in person. And now more than ever, of course, I, I know with everything that's going on in the world, <laughs> I don't think anybody after this is going to take for granted just sitting down with your friend and having a beer, having a coffee at a cafe. I mean, I know people are getting together. Um, I see people getting together in the city, but they're, you know, they're two meters apart and they're just chatting that way. And that's all cool. But I think, I mean, once this all ends, is there going to be just group hugs going on everywhere? I don't know. I'm like dying to hug some of my friends and to just put my arm around them and to really see them so and feel them in that way. So uh, anyway, I'm giving you a virtual hug and a high five and all that stuff. I'm sending you some love wherever you're at in the world listening to this. Hope you're well. I've been thinking a lot about the people that are traveling right now. You know, I saw an article on CNN.com that was uh, titled, People Living in Vans and RVs Are Getting Squeezed During the Pandemic. And they were talking about a lot of the nomads out there that have been living the so-called, you know, say hashtag van life or living in RVs. And we have people in our community location, Indy, that are in this situation as well, where there's border regulations, there's all these orders to stay at home. A lot of these campsites that people might stay at have closed down and people are effectively scrambling around trying to find places to stay. So they're trying to do the right thing, but it's also difficult. I know my friends Mike and Ann from Honey Trek are in Poland. They found a, like a vineyard to stay at somehow. So people are figuring it out. But man, I just wanted to, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, uh, I just wanted to send you some love and and just that, let you know we're thinking of you. I know there's a huge nomad community or sub-community within uh, the listening community here. And I know some of you might be finding some struggles on a day-to-day basis related to everything that's going on with the coronavirus. So uh, I just want to send you guys some love, uh, you guys and gals and families and everybody out there who's uh, roaming around. I think it would be tough to be nomadic right now and dealing with this. So anyway... Just stay safe and thinking about all of you and thinking about everybody here in the listening community. By the way, always an open invitation to get in touch. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. And uh, it would be an absolute pleasure to hear from some of you. I'm going to give a shout out to one of you in just a moment. And then we're going to talk about this whole, should you build a business around your passion or should you start something or organization or whatever around your passion? Does that really matter that much? Now, this shout out, I wanted to say, what's up to Gene, who uh, said, hey, Jason, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your podcast. I already left my job and I'm in the process of becoming a nomad. Unfortunately, my plans were slightly derailed due to the virus pandemic. Listening to your podcast has helped me stay focused and inspired to stick with it despite the great uncertainty in the world. I really especially appreciate the episode you had with the Radio Vangabond. I'm pushing 40 with a full career in my past. I had some reservations about becoming a full-time nomad later in life, but hearing Paula's, hearing Paula recount his experiences really helped reassure me. Anyway, long story short, thank you for what you do, hearing your experiences, and those of your guests are really awesome. Keep up the good work. Wish you and your family the best. Hope you stay safe during these times. Gene signed uh, also signed it, former executive and future nomad. So... I just wanted to give Gene just a big shout out and saying, man, way to stick with it, you know, uh, on multiple levels. First of all, 
yeah, there is a lot of uncertainty, but you're, you're staying with your plans. And I'm really glad that what the guests are sharing, what's happening here is, is helping you kind of stay on course for that. And I do believe, man, there's never, I think the whole, uh, idea of uh, I'm too old for this, that, or the other. I'm, I'm finding as I get older and I'm a guy in, in my mid-40s and I'm not ashamed to admit that, folks. I mean, if somebody showed up at my door and said, hey, do you want to be 10 years younger again? I'd, I'd, I'd take that, sure, with everything I know now. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's no reason that you can't do anything at any age in life. And that might sound mo- like motivational rah-rah, but I really truly believe that. I think the, the age thing just is a cultural thing, right? I mean, you go to, you hear about some cultures where it's the, the elders are revered and they're the ones that are, you know, seen as the wisest. And it's this idea that you can't do things at certain stages in life because you're past this, whatever stage it's all, all, it's all crap. So do you do you at any age, do what you want. Uh, I'm always thrilled to bring guests on to that exemplify that uh, the spirit of that, I guess I would say, that uh, we can travel and be nomadic or start businesses or start nonprofit organizations or whatever it is that you want to do. Don't don't let your age stop you, whether you're young and you don't think you have enough experience or you think you're too old or something in between. There's always something that can stop us from doing the things we want to do. So there you go. Thanks, Gene. Rock on. Keep on keeping on. Before I let you go, let's talk about this whole idea that came up in the interview when I was asking Dr. Daniels about his organization, what made him excited about that particular idea. And this got me thinking about this this idea of should you start a business or an organization around something you're passionate about. And I know there are some people in entrepreneurial circles, at least, that just think that's total crap. It's like, you don't have to start something around what you're passionate about. And that's true. You don't have to. And there are many types of businesses and things that you could start, that you could be successful at, that don't have to involve anything that get you super excited. And that's totally cool. Now, I think what people forget when they say that it's BS, there's two things. First of all, I do think that it's not just passion, right? You have to have pa- where passion meets opportunity. A successful business is made where p- your passion meets your opportunity and or meets the opportunity, the business opportunity out there. So it's, it's not just about passion. So you have to think about those two things and how they might work together. And then, of course, it's about uh, serving people and doing something that you're passionate about and finding an opportunity within that passion is, I think, the only way to do it for some people. For people like me, I don't think that I could have the stamina to show up consistently and do this type of work every day if I wasn't passionate about it. It just, it wouldn't work for me, for my personality. So I think there are different personality types out there, of course, as we all know. And what I'm saying is I think that that gets lost in some of these conversations where, hey, we're working with different types of people and different ways of thinking. And at least for my personality, it really uh, helps tremendously. I really think makes it possible that the projects I do, I'm passionate about 
because I have to show up every day to keep working on them. And that's what gets me excited. And ultimately, in the end, I think one of the arguments against doing something you're passionate about is that it could be perceived as self-centered, right? Well, it's not about you. It's about the people you serve. And that's true. But when you're serving people within your passion, you can be fulfilled yourself, but you can also find more meaning and purpose in serving others and still do that around your passion. So anyway, that's right for my personality, for me. And that's not going to be the case for everybody and not necessary for everybody. And I understand the argument, but for me, I like to, to go where passion meets opportunity when I'm starting things. So anyway, there you go. That's my, those are my thoughts on that. Whew, that's a fun show. Loved hanging out with you guys. It's a Saturday night here as I'm recording this. And yeah, I, I can't think of a better way to, to spend a Saturday night besides hanging out with you and having a little bit of chat. So a little bit of a, yeah. See, my mouth stopped working. So that means it's time <laughs> to let you go. A little bit of a chat is what I meant to say. Okay, before I let you go, should I, should I pull a quote out of the quote drawer? Hold on. I, I meant to put some new ones in here. Let's see what I get out here. I'm going to leave you guys with a quote. Oh, okay. This one's from Mahatma Gandhi, which is a great one to leave off on. It says, people become what they expect themselves to become. Mahatma Gandhi. People become what they expect themselves to become. Thank you for listening to the show, being a part of this community. Stay safe out there. If you want to keep in touch, head over to zerototravel.com. Sign up for the email list. Come hang out over there. Get the stuff off the podcast. <laughs> All right. I'll let you go now. Have a wonderful day, night, evening, whatever. Take care. Peace and love. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by zerototravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.